Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Ali Boone, and formerly an aerospace engineer. Ali is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, author, and real estate investing coach. And after leaving her nine to five job to pursue an ultimate freedom through rent entrepreneurship, her company, Hipster Investments, managed to facilitate over $18 million in real estate transactions in the first five years of business. So thank you so much for being on the show, Ali. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you have a very interesting background, always interesting to talk to someone that went from the W-2 over and like did that transition because I think a lot of people are in that position. Yeah. So tell us about your background, both personally and professionally prior to getting involved in your current business in real estate investing. Yeah, sure. So I kind of had the typical growing up, you know, I grew up, my parents trained me, go to school, get good grades, get the, get the degree, get the secure job, retire when you're 65 kind of thing. So I did that. And hence that's where aerospace engineering came from. I come from a family of more or less aviators. And so I started flying airplanes and at, at some point in that equation, I decided pilots didn't get paid enough. So I was like, I'll be an engineer. I'm certain it'll be the same thing. It's not. Um, so I went to grad school, did that, you know, so I'd been in school forever doing the path that I feel like a lot of us are told we're supposed to do. And I tell the story all the time, but I'll never forget. I went to grad school, finished that, landed the dream job. And first day on the job, you know, this is my first big girl job and I've got my business casual clothes on. And I was like, oh man, I did it. Like world's at my fingertips. And I walked into my cubicle for the first time. Now, mind you, during grad school, I was flight instructing as a job. So like my office was a sky and landscape and adventure and all sorts of stuff. So I turned the corner into this just drab gray cubicle and I turned the corner and I'll never forget it. It was like time slowed down and I looked at it and the, the voice in my head was like, uh-oh. <laughs> this, this isn't going to work. I knew it. Like, and I think I knew it before that, but I didn't really know I had other options. So I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And from that minute on, before I ever sat down in my first cubicle, I knew I had to get out. And so it took me five years. And within that five years, I legitimately tried to kind of shift around in the company, find positions, maybe more better suited to me. You know, I, I, I gave it a whirl. Like I wanted to say for sure, engineering is not my thing. And I can very concretely say that I can still make a mean spreadsheet, 
but otherwise it wasn't really my thing. And so in that five years, you know, I had skills, I could fly airplanes, I could do engineering stuff, but like nothing that seemed to be a practical application to getting me out of corporate is like, well, how am I going to get out of here? So for five years, I just researched everything I could. I was like, I don't know how I'm getting out, but I got to get out. And at some point I narrowed down what seemed to be the two options that seem to be the things that get people out of corporate, either start a business or get involved in real estate investing. And I chose the real estate investing route, not necessarily thinking it would directly get me out of corporate, but while I was exploring all these things, I was like, well, while I have a paycheck, I might as well do something smart with my money. So I started investing in real estate for myself. And through that, through meeting people and dive into the details later, but through the people I met, through the deals I started getting involved with, one thing kind of led to another and it became a very organic build into building my own company. So ironically, I ended up doing the business and the real estate thing combined, which I didn't see come in. And so I started more or less that business kind of as a side hustle, still not thinking it was going to get me out. It was helping people with turnkey rental properties. That's what I had started getting involved with. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, I, in order to grow the real estate business, I'm going to have to leave corporate, which means, you know, saying law V to that Friday paycheck and health insurance. And so I did it. And that this year is actually going to be my 10 year mark of leaving corporate. So I've been doing the entrepreneur thing ever since I started primarily working with people buying turnkey rental properties. I still do that as the primary thing, but in the last few years, I've started doing a lot of coaching and I also do business consulting kind of on the side, but real estate investing coaching has been amazing because I get to work with a lot of people who aren't involved with turnkeys at all. And it's fantastic. And I absolutely love it. I wrote a book a couple of years ago about real, you know, the industry and how to best get your footing in it. So it's been I, fun. It's adventurous and it can be very stressful, but you know, it, I would take the stress over corporate stress all day long. Yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing. It's the paycheck and then also health insurance, which is what I hear every <laughs> entrepreneur. Think. No, it's, it's not from someone with a W2. They take that little, uh, they take your health insurance. So mm -hmm. they whimsical, but it is such a big thing with the cost of everything that's happened in the United States over the last 10 years. It's but anyway, terrible. with that, yeah, with that being said, um, what was your first real estate investment? Did you go in as I imagine you had a full-time job? So you went in and you were it's a it was a turnkey property. Is that correct? That you well, so that in? was actually not my first one. Okay. My first one was uh, <clears throat> way more adventurous than that. So <laughs> what actually, so I was sitting at my desk at the engineering job. And at this point I had subscribed to every newsletter from every, I was just like, you know, give me information and give me anything to not work on my engineering stuff. So I get this announcement for, I think it was from Think Realty, the magazine. Mm -hmm. And it said, Hey, we're doing this webinar on, well, let me preface this real quick. Not soon, not too soon before this, I had started looking at rental properties because I was investigating the real estate thing. And I live in Los Angeles. So I went around with an agent and looked at possible rental properties. And I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. I didn't know how to run numbers or that I should run numbers, but something about these properties, I was like, I don't really see where the profit is. You know, the cheapest one told that needed a total gut job rehab was like $270,000. And it's like, well, then by the time I actually got it and rehab it, and then it rents for 1200. And I was like, I don't know the numbers on that, but I feel like something is amiss. <laughs> so, you know, I just looked at these really expensive properties and I was like, I don't get it. So this webinar announcement comes in and it says beach bungalows starting at $99,000 in Nicaragua. <laughs> and immediately I was like, well, $99,000 is 
very affordable. I love the beach. And I don't know where Nicaragua is, but that sounds really cool. So of course I Google, I was like, where's Nicaragua? Central America, third world country. And I was like, even better. Like this is, I love doing things that make people's heads turn. And I'm like, well, this seems like a winner. So I, I assumed it was a scam. I really didn't think anything of it. It was a pre-construction development. And the more I dove into it, waiting to prove these people as scammers, the more legitimate it became. Wyndham Hotels was in on this. Jack Nicholas Golf Course Design was in on this. Big investors were coming in on this. This was no small undertaking. I'm sorry, what year was this approximately? So we get an idea. 2011. Okay. 2011. Yep. And I ended up going down to Nicaragua. I ended up going down there a total of five times. Went down there, started really meeting other real estate investors for the first time, which was really cool. I was like, found the people. And... I bought into it. So I bought a pre-development, uh, uh, pre-construction development beach bungalow, because I love a bungalow and the beach and a home site. And I, so I was $40,000 in and a lot of other people were millions of their own money in. And in as famous developer stories go, the money just magically disappeared, oh. never to be seen again. So welcome to real estate. I was like, wow, I'm glad I chose this route. This is amazing. Not really. <laughs> but through that, the people that I met through that deal were already involved with turnkeys and I had never heard of turnkeys. Mm. And so I had kind of heard a little bit about it. I didn't really care because I wanted to stay in the third world country and do the cool stuff. And at that time in 2011, Atlanta was one of the biggest markets, like unbelievable cash flow and just everything. And I'm from Atlanta originally. So they knew that and they said, you know, hey, we know you're not really into the turnkey thing, but just a heads up, the, the big market coming is Atlanta. And I was like, oh, well, tell me more because I'm from there. So I ended up buying turnkeys in Atlanta and that, and so I shifted out of the third world countries, came back to the US and it's been turnkeys ever since. So I didn't even, nowhere along this entire thing did I ever think that turnkeys were gonna be the thing, but now it's like, I can't get rid of them if I try. Yeah. <laughs> and and no. occasionally I try. <laughs> That's great. It's it's very interesting. Have you um have you purchased anything else outside the United States since this oh. 10 years ago? Okay. Yeah. Well, not because not so much like the fear or the risk. Obviously, that is a thing because you know, when this developer ran off, if that happens in the US, there's the horror stories in the US as mm -hmm. well, as far as people never getting their money back, developer disappears to the Caribbean, whatever. But at least in that case, the FBI and you know, US authorities can try to help you. In Nicaragua or somewhere like that, you're kind of on your own. But more than that, it, it was just that the there's I haven't seen better deals than what you know in 2011 and 2012, and then going forward, there was no better place to make just a ton of money. So that was you know that was my motivation for staying in the U.S. is there's just no nowhere to beat it. Yeah, it was one thing. Uh, just on a side note, is I remember my uncle was building a house in Costa Rica in 07. Oh, nice! And uh, he had this great uh, Marriott was inside. It's still there. It's outside of Haco. It's a place called Los Sueños, which means the dreams. And he built it. My he passed away. And my my cousin sold it. But the thing though was that when he was building it, I remember down there. I spent time with him because I was the only one that I was self employed like him, and I could go down there. So he invited me down, and we we're going speaking to all the different architecture architects and everything else he had going yeah. on there because this thing was like sixty five hundred square feet. It was huge. Wow. And he like they, they were telling us they're like, well, the problem down here is that there's not too many like licenses and regulations. So yeah. I'm your real estate agent today. I'm your mortgage broker tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like your closing agent, like Thursday. You know what I mean? And then I'm the authorities if I screw you over. 
right like, exactly oh. yeah yeah and it's, Wait a it's, it's, it's my, it, it's, my uh, it's my cousin that he, that runs the police here or whatever but it's like yeah. so you going in there and that was just one thing that he had he went through everything about how it worked and he had to change construction teams halfway through and all this kind of stuff but the thing that was that it was just that thing was like scared me because i was like yeah. wow and i just bought a place a year or so ago prior to that in, in the united states and um it was like wow this is like way over my head yeah. and i remember like being down there another time like a year later with investors and this is right when the united states was like teetering in 08 and these guys from the United States were going down there, investing millions of dollars into development yeah. down there. And my brother and I, we got out of this like airport transfer rental car van back to the United States, the back to the airport. And we're like, these guys are going to lose their shirts. I don't know anything <laughs> that they're doing. Well, these guys were like talking big game, like, oh, 10 million here. And we got investors. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hopefully they came like out dripping sweat. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, who are you even like, who's your assistant? Who's your agent down here? You know what I mean? That you're working with. Cause like you, that was the problem. And that's why I always ask when people have done it. I just like to hear exactly what they've done but yeah um not to get off on a tangent but um let's talk about like what you're doing now because you're doing turnkeys i don't I, I i read into it and i know that it's a little different from normal turnkey properties and um systems that you normally will see out there so can you explain what your current business model is and kind sure. of how you're working with investors on that yeah so the term turnkey and this applies to different industries also but for rental properties the idea the metaphor is that you just have to stick the key in the door turn it and you're making cash flow on day one so in order for that to happen the property's already rehabbed tenants already in place and property management is on standby to manage the property for you. And so technically you could buy a house next door to you in turnkey condition. But when I'm talking about turnkey rental properties and when most people are talking about turnkeys, they're talking about properties that are sold by turnkey providers. So there's companies scattered throughout different cities who go out they're basically glorified flippers. They're just big scale flippers who cater to investors. So what they do is they go out and buy inventory in bulk, as many as they can. They rehab them in bulk. They place tenants. They have property managers set up, ready to manage the property for you. And you buy the property from them. So the idea and one of the advantages is, and part of the marketing problem with it is, it's, they're supposed to be hands-off rental properties. I've since learned that people take that way too seriously. It's like, hey, Let's not think of these as hands-off, but in terms of rental properties, as far as rental properties go, they're about as hands-off as you can get. And so someone else is doing all the hard work for you. You're just buying the final product. So like I live in California where there is no such thing as positive cash flow or a decent entry price for anything. So as a long distance investor, if I want to buy a property in Kansas City or Birmingham or somewhere like that for hundred to $150,000, which can't even buy a bathroom in California for that. Uh, it, the idea is that it helps long. Uh, there's a lot of people it helps, but like long distance investors, for example, it's not going to make sense for you to be the one rehabbing to do all the stuff. So they're doing the stuff for you. So that's really what, when you're hearing people talk about turnkey rental properties, that's usually what they're talking about is from those providers. Okay. Awesome. So what are returns that are common with typical turnkey deals obviously no one's going to hold you this but just so we have an idea of what's happening yeah i mean it changes all the time and you also as with any property there's going to be a range obviously there's and with the inventory shortage over the last couple of years a lot of new construction turnkeys have come up people offering new construction properties 
honestly, in a good neighborhood, the cash flow on those, you're looking at like a one to 3% cash on cash return. There's a lot of advantages to those because then you have better appreciation potential, better, a whole bunch of stuff that can make up for that lower cash flow. But in terms of the cash flow, one to 3%, I'm working with some properties in Birmingham now that usually vary between about between, let's see, nine to 17% cash on cash. And that's just the cash flow again, again, not any of the other profit centers. So, and there's a whole spectrum in the middle. People sometimes reach out and say, Hey, what what are the returns you're getting on your turnkeys? And I'm like, you don't want to know. I bought, I started buying in 2011. Like that's when the cap rates were like 14% and the cash on cashes were like 30 to 40%. I'm like, we just, we don't need to talk about it. So yeah, it, yeah. Does, it does change with time and it changes with all the different markets. And then mm. obviously, you know, the nicer properties are going to be lower, but somewhere ignoring the new construction properties, somewhere in the seven to 18% cash on cash, depending on your financing and all that. Nice. So can you explain the process or your process? Because I mean, we, you explained a regular turnkey process. Can you explain a little bit more in depth of how it works, where, the provider from the time the provider buys to the time that the investor comes in and what they're kind of getting. Mm -hmm. And like, can you, can you give us a little idea of how that works? Yeah. And one of the big benefits of turnkeys will kind of be built into this explanation, but basically like if you're the turnkey provider, for example, you know, your market, you go out, you find the properties, whether that's auction, foreclosure, wherever you get your properties, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You buy the property with your money, you rehab the property, you place tenants. And somewhere in that equation, you have some sort of property management, whether it's an in-house property manager, like under the umbrella of your company, or a lot of the turnkey providers will work with a third-party property manager that they contract with. So you do all of that. It's your money and it's your time. If I come in and I want to buy that property, I basically, you know, look at your inventory and I'm like, I'll take that one. And one of the biggest advantages for me as the buyer is that in that equation, you're the one holding all the risk. You know, if the rehab has an overage, if you can't sell it for what you thought you, you know, all the typical flipping risk, that's on you. Me as the turnkey buyer, I get to verify everything before I put a dime down Mm. because I'm going to look at the inspection report. I'm going to, you know, check out the tenants you put in there. I'm going to verify everything. And that's really where that non-hands-off comes in because I want people doing their own due diligence. I I should not take your word for anything. I should do the due diligence on this property as if I was buying it non-turnkey. But assuming I do all that due diligence, everything checks out. I close just like buying a normal house, get your loan, do whatever, pay cash. And then from day one, I'm cash flowing. And then the property managers manage it. Um, Nowadays, just there's been some kind of shifts with the inventory shortage and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the turnkeys are being sold without tenants. So in that case, there will be an initial vacancy period and tenant placement fee, but it's honestly because they can, because they're in such high demand, you know, why hold it while it's taking money out of their pocket and not just sell it and people are, but the buyers are willing to do that. But for the most part, that's how the process works. So there's the risk is on the turnkey provider mostly because it's their money, their time. You as a turnkey buyer, you're, you don't have to put any money into it until you personally say, yes, it looks good. Oh, okay. So yeah. Cause obviously when you're buying properties in such hot markets um, where we are now, I mean, they're, they're going in and when we used to do it, it would be like, you know, you're putting in huge deposits on properties. You haven't even yeah. seen them. You're told there's a hole in the roof. You're still putting a deposit on there. You don't know what's going on. Uh, just trying fine. to get deals. Yeah. <laughs> what you have a tarp. You'll be great. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
So, I mean, so that was, I remember doing that years back and doing flipping mm-hmm. and how you had to be like, Hey, came on, or this came on or something. You're like, I'm over there right now. Leave whatever yeah. you're doing to find it. And you don't have to do that. You have much more of a, um, like you said, you can do you all your background, your due diligence on properties yeah. and on managers. But the, my main thing with smaller properties or with any kind of properties is the management. And I feel management's a lot more difficult on smaller properties. It's hard mm-hmm. to find good manager. It's hard, it's hard to uh, not get feed out where it sounds like all you're doing is just like putting the manager through his kids through college. So what is the most important factor? I mean, like when you're going through this, like how fee intensive, how does the fee structure work with a lot of these providers where I'm not paying crazy amounts of fees for everything. And I hope that they would have their own handymen um, and contractors on. So I'm not paying what I call yellow page pricing. Yeah, for sure. Management, I mean, easily of the, of, you know, I started buying turnkeys 11 years ago and now having all these properties for 11 years and working with other people, hands down, the biggest downside, downfall, whatever is on the property management side. Because I mean, as you probably know, property managers aren't always the most elite part of the industry, you know, like it, it attracts a lot of people that maybe aren't all that great. Um, and I'll be honest, I have fired and rehired property managers. <laughs> I want to say four times something like hands down. Absolutely. The only problems that I have ever had on my properties are is somehow related to property management. So with that said, the the fees really aren't that astronomical. Like you're really just gonna be looking at somewhere between the six and 10% a month of the monthly rent and then whatever fees. And yeah, like a, a sign of a good property manager is someone who's not gonna call a contractor. You know, if the toilet won't stop running, don't call the expensive plumber, you know, send your handyman in. So they're gonna be cognizant of, you know, who they use for maintenance and some property managers will upcharge maintenance, like for everything you have to pay for maintenance, they'll upcharge at 10%, but a lot of them don't. I, none of mine have ever upcharged. So that's an, you know, interview question of, do you upcharge maintenance? But the thing about property management is number one, just to understand it may not be perfect. And the willingness and just knowing that you may need to fire one and hire a new one. It's just kind of, it's part of it. You know, people go into turnkeys or working with property managers thinking everything's going to be perfect. And that's not necessarily accurate. You're just really, what you're doing is you're exchanging kind of like corporate and entrepreneurship. You're exchanging one stress for another. And so when I look at the the possibilities, let's say I can either go find a property on my own, rehab it, do all the work myself, be the landlord, or have something more turnkey with a property manager, yeah, I don't like the property manager part of the equation for the most part, but to me, that's a heck of a lot easier and less risky to deal with than the alternative. So it's like, you got to pick your, the lesser of the evils kind of thing. So property managers, it's a people management type of thing where if you're a landlord and rehabbing, that's more technical management. You're managing the property, you're fixing that running toilet, all that kind of stuff. But property managers, it's just like being the boss of employees. You got to make sure everybody's functioning. And so just going in with the right mindset of, Hey, at any given point, they may really start to suck. And when they do, they may cost you a little bit of money, but it's a willingness to do something about it, do something about it quickly and, you know, interview managers. And now I have a couple of managers spread out between my properties that knock on wood have been great. Like phenomenal. They always start out great, but these have been pretty (laughs) consistently great for a while. So Again, if you expect perfection, 
you're going to be let down, yeah. but the fees really don't, I've never, the only time that having a property manager has really messed with my returns financially is when they put really bad tenants in and then it costs yeah. me yeah. a gazillion dollars and a turnover and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the fees. You know what I mean? Like the fees straight out. I, it, it's like either I pay those fees or I don't get to spend my afternoons on the beach. You yeah. know, I'll pay those fees if I, it means I get to hang out and not stress and not have to worry about running toilets. So yeah. it's all, it's a perspective. Yeah. There's, there's one part of it where you're, you're hiring them to make your investment from active to really semi-passive is what I really yeah. call it when you have a property manager where I'm involved, but not every day. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And I think people, investors really need to know this because passive is sold through all these different programs is, oh yeah, real estate's passive. And I, cause I pay my rent. Well, not everybody pays their rent on the first every month and never calls their yeah. landlord. So the thing that was, but the other thing too, is so you're tapping into them to handle all these issues and calls and mm -hmm. marketing of the property, but you're tapping in, like we talked about before into this network that they've, hopefully they've developed over decades, let's say, yeah. hopefully um, that now I'm not paying, you know, it's, uh, you know, boiler goes out 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I'm not mm -hmm. paying 225 an hour. There's someone going over there for 35 bucks. Yeah. Right. Or $45 to restart something or clean up yep. something, whatever it is. And that's, that's the huge benefit because those we're very tight profit margin when we're dealing with yeah. properties with debt and they've just been purchased. I mean, we're talking, you know, in within 10%, right? Yeah. It's it, they're not extremely profitable investments from like where, where people think like, oh, I just pay the rent, they have no expenses, right? right. So um, I think it's it's so important to make sure that when you're talking to these managers, because I've gone through, I just signed a new property manager uh, agreement like two two months ago and yeah. I was going through it and they're like, they had something in there and I'm like, what is this? Like where I'm paying a surcharge of the hours for health insurance for them. And I was like, this is, really? like, no, you, just, you just take that out. You just take that out. And I was like, so you have, to, you have to really go through these and figure yeah. out and you're like, okay, that's hourly is a little high, but Hey, I mean, if yeah. we can, I'll pay this hourly all day long, if you don't call anybody with a license. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. it's like, it's just these things that um, you, like you said, you have to, uh, that's the way, that's what we got into this for being passive and, and, you know, and you're not going to find anybody that's going to manage it as well as you are. I mean, that's just true. That's but, exactly find, what I was but it's just. I mean, that's, that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's one of the arguments. Like people are like, well, property manager is never going to manage as good as you do. Yeah. Well, that is a fact. That's absolutely yeah. a fact. And I landlord a duplex close to me down in LA that me and some partners bought. And then I get paid to be the manager of, mm -hmm. you know, from the partners. And so not only am I saving all sorts of money by not paying a property manager, I'm definitely taking care of the property way better than someone who didn't own it yeah. would. And I'm even getting paid to manage it. But I will tell you, I, mm, and I don't care if someone doesn't take care of a property as good as I do. And if I have to pay the fees, that's obviously those are long distance properties. So it's a little bit, you know, I can't just walk down to the property kind of thing, but I don't care if they take as good a care. It's not like I'm trying to move in the house or live in the house myself. Mm -hmm. If they take care of it up to a good rental standard, mm -hmm. I, you know, and so some of the, the arguments that people give, I mean, at the end of the day, some people just are, they're going to lose sleep if yeah. they're not managing something themselves. In that case, definitely manage yourself. No investment under the sun is worth you losing sleep. But, you know, there's a lot of perspectives that need to shift about like why property managers are bad. Well, yeah, they're, some of them are bad in exactly the way you're thinking. But again, the trade-off for that is now you have to spend your time and sanity and all of that to save what, to get you 
where, you know, and every situation is different, obviously, but yeah, of course they're not going to take as good a care of it as you would, but you don't necessarily have to care about that either. Yeah. There's different levels of it too. If I, I don't have to eat off uh, the floor of one of my common stairways in the back, yeah. but if water's coming out of the ceiling, yeah. uh, we should take care of that. Right. So yeah, there's like different levels of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if they're going to take care of it to a perfectly yeah. slightly above average level, perfect. Yeah. My renters are happy. I'm happy. And if the property's exactly. in good shape, you know, so, um, so how do you, we, we you kind of, glossed over a little bit by going from W2 to your, to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. How did you position yourself both mentally and financially to make the leap from employee to entrepreneur? And like, how was that process? Well, I'll be honest about the financial side. I did not prepare well for that at all. <laughs> like that was, if I could go back and do it again, I, I see why I didn't put more of a nest egg aside because I was working at that point, I was in to classified projects. And so I was actually traveling Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday to top secret classified location. I was a top secret flight test engineer by the end of it. And so I legitimately didn't have access to many unclassified computers to work on my real estate business. So I was kind of trying to do it, but it's not like I was going home every day at five and could work on it. And so Well, I, and well, I guess really what it was is that I just, I was at a stopping point and the, because I was working the classified side, I had to either quit or I had to quit one of them, real estate or the engineering job, because I wasn't going to shift back to suddenly being home at five o'clock every day. So I actually took the leap kind of fast. I was also kind of antsy to get out. Um, and I actually had a proper, one of the turnkeys under contract at that time, but there was a delay with the deed or something and it wasn't getting closed. So we actually had to switch to private financing because I quit my W2 job. So I no longer qualified for the mortgage. So when I say I kind of rushed out of there, I kind of did, it wasn't a rush, but I left there with not nearly as much money in the bank account as may have provided me some sanity. <laughs> and so <laughs> I lost a lot of sanity over that next year while I wasn't making much, but at the yeah. same time, it also put me into panic mode, which meant I had a fire under me. I mean, I was working. I was like, I don't have, I, I can't slack. I can't do whatever. Like I gotta, I gotta hurry. Cause I don't know where my rent is coming. I gotta work. And that ties back into the mental preparation for it. And I would say Part of what helped me was I just had a very internal inherent drive. I had to get out on my own. Like there was no questions about it. I needed my freedom. I had to do this and I knew it, but I would say the absolute best thing that I ever did to mentally prepare myself for this. And it paid dividends over the first couple of years of business that were pretty rocky. I read so many books. And this was, I mean, the internet was around at this time, but I wasn't really an internet person. Like bigger pockets wasn't really out yet. Like there wasn't as much, it was just kind of messier online. So I was reading books, uh, all the Robert Kiyosaki books, all the, you know, whatever books. And there were so many things in the books that the people would say, whether about entrepreneurship or real estate, they would say, this is going to happen to you. Here's how you can navigate that when it, not if, when it happens, and so sure enough, I would hit those exact things. And I'm like, oh, this is totally normal. Because I feel like had I not read all those things in the books, I would have thought that I was doing something wrong or this isn't okay, or this isn't normal or whatever. And so mentally all day long, 100%, it was the stuff I read beforehand so that I knew when things were coming, I knew what challenges were in route and I knew that they were okay and actually a good sign when they happened. Yeah. So that was really, that was game changing for me and a mentor highly recommend the mentor for sure. That was because there were many times where what was said in the book 
absolutely did not help me. <laughs> I was like, oh, panic and, you know, everything's setting in. And, you know, I launched myself off the cliff. I'm dangling off the side of the cliff. And my mentor is like, you know, hey, hop back up here. Let's, let's chat. And it was kind of like, he was able to reel me in every time, pull me back up off the cliff, reset me, re-energize me, re-motivate me. And then I could keep going. And then sure enough, I jump off the cliff again, you know? So it was kind of that, you know, he was, he was kind of the after the books and the mental preparation were before. And then he was the during and after for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. So what are some common mistakes you see real estate investors make throughout this, uh, your, your own, uh, kind of voyage to where you are now? Uh, I'll give two answers about it. Uh, one that's turnkey specific because that's what I've been doing for 10 years is working with turnkey buyers. So I see their mistakes all the time. And, and I was actually one of them. A lot of their mistakes are exactly the same mistakes I made. And then just general real estate as a whole. So the turnkeys, the number one mistake that I see them making is not doing due diligence because these things are marketed as, hey, this expert is going to give you this property and it's going to be great and it's going to cash flow this. And they're like, okay, sign on the dotted line. I'm like, oh. and it's it's in the messaging. I get it. Like, and I'm trying to make people realize there needs to be a change in the messaging of these are not hands off. You should yeah. absolutely look into these properties just as much as you would because if you were doing this all on your own. You wouldn't let anything go by without interviewing people, checking on things, verifying. Don't yeah. trust a turnkey provider. They're doing the best they can, but they're human. So there's mistakes. So hands down, not doing due diligence in the same way that they would do for any other property. And some of that goes back to what I said about they've got to reset their expectations because they're expecting perfection. And I will tell you, the minute, if there is one decimal point off in a pro forma, immediately their brains go to scam, scam. I'm getting scammed every time. And I'm like, I I'm talking them off the cliff all the time. So that's on the turnkey side expectations about the hands-off and you know, how perfect they should be real estate investors in general. The big thing I see is two things, not taking the time to learn what will actually make a, a strategy successful. So I'll have someone come up to me and they're like, Hey, I found this property. I think it'd make a good rental property. What do you think? And I'm like, well, what do you think? you know, cause there's certain things you can look at to say, oh yeah, this should make a good rental property. And they're like, well, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I get it. We don't know what we don't know, but like learning to run the numbers, how are you going to sustain the numbers? Like learning how to be successful with a strategy. They don't even oftentimes realize they need to do that. So missing that whole thing, just assuming a property is going to work and not taking the risk seriously. And then the big thing that I feel like people don't really talk about is I mean, what happens when you Google how to be a real estate investor? What do you immediately see? You should wholesale, you should flip properties, you know, add value to the property. Well, for some people, sure. But for a lot of people, no. And it's taking that time to really look at all the options because there are so many options in this industry. You can find one that follows suit with your natural abilities, your natural skill, and you can make it your own. Don't, I mean, yeah, some people are going to be great wholesalers, but I yeah. like, don't do it because someone says it. And you know, what's going to happen is they're like, Oh, I have to wholesale because everyone said I do. And then they do it. They don't succeed at it. They're terrible at it. They hate it. And they're like, well, guess that's it for real estate. Now there's, you know, and so it's, it's just missing that kind of internal reflection of like, Hey, what might I actually be really good at? Because like me with turnkeys, 
you couldn't have paid me a million dollars, even when I started into real estate to think that turnkeys would be my thing. That sounds stupid. Mm. And like, yeah. how much, what, like, but it worked and it, and it, it, it just followed my natural abilities and here I am. So it's that, you know, just really not people just fly into investing too fast. And it's like, Hey, if you just take two seconds, reel it back in, you know, look at yourself in the mm. equation and then investigate other strategies. So you're better setting yourself up for success. Yeah. The other thing too, I like is uh, about the wholesaling flipping or whatever, and they, they get some sort of strategy. There's so many strategies to make money in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people just see in your closing statement, how many people are getting paid on what you're doing yeah. and you'll see. But the thing though, is that it's one of those things where um, people are like, Oh, I'll do wholesaling. I'll do flipping. Well, that's like another job that you're, you mm-hmm. told me initially you want passive income. Yeah. None of this is <laughs> passive income. Oh, you so you talk one... so that you work with the same clients I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, you know, it's just like your goal. It's like, and then there's also people are like, well, this is more toward passive income. Well, no, I want to be an operator for now this new strategy. Well, that's like another job. And that's like uh-huh. restarting. And you've been in your job right now or your career for 20 years. So now you're going to go back to square one. Do you really love real estate? Most people, no, I just want passive income. Uh-huh. So you're like, okay, so you, you know, so it's like, it's one of those things and you don't want to be like dumb it down, but it's really straightforward. You're like, yeah, you want passive income, invest in stuff that's going to require a little to no time. There's a system yep. there. People are working for you versus, um, Hey, I'm going to start a whole new thing. I'm going to get business cards and a logo and a website. And like, you know what I mean? Where you could just spend uh-huh. your time with what you're doing and increase your money increase your income that you can invest into more, uh, passive, semi-passive, uh, investments. So yeah, like what you just said, I I say this more when I'm doing business (laughs) consulting stuff, but I, I use the phrase all the time. I'm like, don't build your business before you've built the business. Don't make your business cards and your website and all that before you've ever made a dime do, you know, if you decide you want to be this successful wholesaler, well, wholesale a property first, make sure that you've made a penny before you create the business. card. And, and I'm guilty of this too. I always say like, I had 167 different business ideas and only one of them worked. And that was because I didn't build it before it built itself kind of thing. But yeah, you know, the wholesaling thing, I can't tell you how many people have reached out and they're like, I want passive income. And then they tell me that they have a nine to five job and a family of five. And they're like, so I'm going to wholesale and I'm, I, I was, and my, my response always is when, (laughs) like you're already working a full-time job and you have a big family. When exactly is this wholesaling thing going to take place? Never mind the passive income, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's really what I'm saying is the mistake I see people making is not looking into a strategy enough to know if you look into wholesaling, you would know that it is a job. It's not even just active investing. It is a job. And Mm -hmm. so if you know, it's a job and you're like, I think it sounds really cool. And I would like to do it as whatever degree of job. Great. But it's more people are going into it because they think they have to do it. They have no idea what they're talking about. And that's really what kind of sets them up for disappointment later. Yeah. Well, this is one thing too. And it's, um, you have all these gurus and all these different strategies that are selling stuff. And that's what people find. Those are the big marketers online. And that's what people find. And then they get you know, tunnel vision as this is the only way to do it, which is not true. There's so many different real estate classes. There's so many different strategies. I mean, you can, you can be a multifamily investor in small multifamily. You can be in section eight, you can be in C, B, A, D. I mean, (laughs) so you're bringing up all the ones people call me, but they're like, I'm going to be a multifamily investor. I'm like, cool, residential or commercial. And they're like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of those things that people get it and they're like, this can do it, but it, it takes down that, uh, like, I like the idea you said about the proof of concept, because that's very important. So um, as we're finishing up here, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Allie? I think, well, I mean, being willing to take the risk and I almost don't answer with that one just because I'm just a risk taker anyways. So I realize that some people are not, so it's not like it took a concerted effort for me to take a risk. But I would say probably the number one thing that has contributed to everything is me just being myself because me being myself and not trying to fool myself in any way, number one, put me in the strategy that worked again. I don't, it, on paper, it seems stupid, but it works. So, you know, I really followed what I'm good at and what came naturally to me and kind of the organic path, but also it's why people connect with me. I, I have people call and I'll be the first one to be like, mm, you shouldn't buy a turnkey or here's why turnkey providers absolutely suck. Like I don't filter anything. And I feel like that's what, you know, people come to me for. And I mean, my God, my company's name is hipster investments. I'm not even a hipster. And people are like, why? In the, like when I ran that name by a couple of people, they were like, no, why, why don't you do that? And I didn't know why I was doing that. I just kept having this voice in my head. It sounds dumb. It, you know, whatever, it doesn't sound professional, anything, but the voice was in my head. I followed it. And so I think when people are willing to do that and be honest, you know, because I don't like waking up early, for example, and that kind of makes me sound unprofessional. Well, it's the truth. So I don't want to have some thing where I have to wake up early every day. You know, it's that, it's that kind of brutal honesty of who I am, what I'm good at, what I enjoy doing. People are going to connect with that and it's going to put you in the right strategy that's a fit for you because not even are there a million different strategy options like you mentioned, there's a million different ways to do each of those strategy options. And if you put a room, if you have put 200 investors in a room, I guarantee you probably no two of them are doing anything exactly the same. Sure. So that's the intimidating part of this industry is you kind of, it makes it hard to navigate, but it's also the good news too, is there's literally some way for you to be just in your self as an investor and very successful at it. Yeah, that goes through. I remember uh, meeting some investors from Boston uh, years back, this older guy, and he'd been like the contractor and he bought like 33 family houses in uh, Boston, outside of Boston. And he was like, he had section eight in him and he had this like system. And he was like, no, no. Like I was talking to him about it. And I was like, and he's like, no, this is like proven. I've done this for decades. It pays me. I like live here. Like I'm the, he had it. Like he had this strategy down to, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're like, this is this is like what a real estate investor, like this is thing he goes, nope, I don't deal with anybody that doesn't, I don't get paid from the government on blah, 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 blah. Yep. And he had everything. It was completely set up. And that's so different from probably his neighbor on one of the properties. It's like, yep. no, I deal with, I don't deal with section eight. I only deal with people, you know what I mean? So yep. it's like, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting how that works. But and um, if you were, if you were to like write out his whole perfected process into a manual and someone else was going to try and replicate it. I would almost guarantee it wouldn't work. Yeah. And it's like that, it's kind of that mystery component of like, hey, wait a minute. And, you know, it's like when you hear the gurus talk, that's why people get so frustrated because they're like, well, I followed the process. And it's like, well, but his process is different than yours or hers is different than yours. And yeah, yeah. like I guarantee you people wouldn't succeed with that perfectly proven over decades model yeah. because it's it's got to be tailored to you and to what works for you. And yeah. section, section eight may work great for some people, won't for others, just like your mm -hmm. point. Yeah. It's, it's that you got to be honest with yourself and realize that you're not going to get the instruction manual 
step-by-step from somebody else. You have to make this your own period. Yeah. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Hallie? So I, I think I mentioned earlier that I put a book out a couple of years ago. It's called Not Your How-To Guide to Real Estate Investing, Life Lessons on Hacking Your Mind Before You Hack Your Wallet. And it's kind of what we're talking about today. It's more of a mindset kind of thing of like, how can you set yourself up to better succeed as an investor? Looking at your strengths, understanding the industry better. I do interviews with successful investors to give you a day in the life of what is the day in the life of the wholesaler or the flipper or whatever. So I set up a link for your people uh, let me make sure I'm actually going to tell you the right one. So my company's name is hipster investments. So if you go to hipsterinvestments.com slash global investor, you can download a free digital copy of the book. And there's ways to contact me on there as well. And if you want, if you're like me and you have to hold a book, there's an Amazon link also, but yeah, go check it out, get a copy of the free book, reach out anytime. I'd love to hear from everybody. Great. So what I'll do is I will add that link into our show notes. Perfect. And thank you so much for coming on today and looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.